All right, Nate, we are back, and this is the first of many off-season podcasts. A lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of meat on the proverbial bone. Um, but nevertheless, I guess we'll, we'll get off the top. We'll talk about some of the coaching changes. What do you think about – or actually, I'll ask you this way. Which coaching change do you think is most impactful? And we'll start with that. Mm-hmm. From there. Yeah, I, I think that you- – know people are going to hate on me because this feels like the most obvious answer but I I just don't know how you say anything other than Jim Knowles Uh, Jim Knowles you know defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State took a proverbial uh, Oklahoma man we've used proverbial twice in the first minute of the podcast that's impressive maybe a Guinness Book of World Record right there Uh, but Mm -hmm. You know, he took a a team in Oklahoma State that was forever known as, you know, your classic Big 12 team, high-powered offense, Justin Blackman, uh, Des Bryant, Brandon Whedon. um, You know, the names get Tyreek Hill, the names go on and on, but they couldn't stop anyone on defense. And that team completely has flipped in the last two years. And, you know, this year he had the third best defense in all of college football led by uh, a linebacker, Malcolm Rodriguez, who, hey, believe it or not, is a former quarterback. Uh, and, and so just, you know, looking objectively at this Ohio State football team a year ago, the biggest issue was that defense is kind of a top down problem. The defensive line wasn't good enough. The linebackers really struggled. The safety play wasn't great. Um, I, I think I have to go with Jim Knowles. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would probably agree with that. Um, I think it's hard not to, especially when you talk about a major coordinator change for that. And again, Ryan Day being more of an offensively minded coach, the defensive coordinator is going to basically have full control over what the defense does. And I think, you know, Kerry Coombs, obviously, he kind of got the, uh, the hook in midseason in terms of defensive play calling last year. But I think in general, this defense definitely needed a change. And I was thinking about this today, this morning, like, okay, are we going to blame all of the defensive problems on the defensive coaching staff? And I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but at the same time, if you have every defensive unit underachieving, I think that speaks more so to a systemic problem as opposed to just saying, oh, it's a coincidence that Ohio State has their worst defensive backs, worst linebackers, and worst defensive ends in the last five years. So I feel like in general – I think definitely the change was very welcomed um, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jim Knowles is going to bring a, a unique um, offensive style uh, to Ohio state. He loves the three safety look. Um, and, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what guys in this current version of the Ohio state defense are going to be left without jobs. Um, I think, you know, the best barometer to me for how good or how effective was this coach or this defensive coaching staff, at least will come, um, you know, week one, who are the starters? Who are the guys that are playing? You know, you and I have talked over and over and it, it feels like what we see on the field from certain players doesn't make sense as to why they are playing or not playing, you know, for how many weeks in a row did we say steel chambers is our best linebacker and he wouldn't play and he wouldn't play and he wouldn't play. And then finally by week 10, he's starting, you know, I am just curious, what does a, a veteran defensive coordinator like Jim Knowles see? 
Yeah, that's interesting too because there really is no trial period. I think last year, uh, which is unfortunate because we, I guess we used Oregon as a trial period and it sort of burned us and uh, in theory kept us out of the playoff because if we had beaten Oregon and lost to Michigan, we probably still would have gotten in. But nevertheless, um, I don't think there's going to be a chance for us to really experiment with personnel. First game of the year, Notre Dame coming to town. I think this defense has to be a well-formed unit starting in week one. And maybe Notre Dame's not as offensively explosive. And, you know, they're, they're probably more of a defensive team. So I guess there will be a little bit of room for error. But I think we're going to get a good view of what this defense looks like immediately. And I wouldn't be shocked if the guys starting – in week one are the guys starting in week seven and week 12, which you definitely couldn't say for last year's team. But Nate, I want to ask you this thing about Jim Knowles. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, okay, what kind of defense is he going to bring? Ohio state has typically been that four, three base personnel kind of team. I know you were talking mm-hmm. about the, the three safety look, but Jim Knowles has utilized more of a three, four uh, being at Ohio, Oklahoma state and Duke and, you know, we don't know if that's going to carry over. You know, we don't know if we necessarily have the personnel for that. Can guys like Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer playing coverage? I don't know. So do you think that this yeah. is a, any bit of a square peg being fit into a round hole, or do you think they'll be able to figure it out? I, I feel okay uh, about it. I think that um, we certainly, even with our, our previous defensive coaching staff regime, I think we've recruited a wide variety of safeties. That's part of this this defense he loves to utilize I think technically um, he would call it a four two five um, but he does he he puts one of the linebackers or one of the defensive ends in a in almost a stand-up role and he'll rush the passer some of the time but some of the times he'll also drop into coverage um, now he, he's also going to utilize three safeties which I think to my previous point I think Ohio State has done a good job at recruiting different kinds of safeties. Court Williams and Ronnie Hickman aren't the same kind of guy. Uh, Cameron Martinez Mm -hmm. isn't the same type of guy as Court Williams. You know, we got Lathan Ransom in there, Josh Proctor. We brought in Tanner McAllister uh, from Oklahoma State. And so I think that we we should be okay at that spot. The the biggest question mark for me is who is the – you know, the, the, they call it, I think the Jack uh, defensive end or Jack linebacker. And that's traditionally in his defense been played by a, uh, a defensive lineman, a defensive end. And I look at our, our roster and we certainly have guys athletic enough to do it. Um, I think, you know, a guy like uh, Zach Harrison, super athletic. Could he do it? I don't know if his hips are good enough. Jack Sawyer, super athletic. I don't think you're going to ask a guy like uh, JT Tuimolo out to do that. He's just too big. Or is this mm-hmm. a, a position that is going to come down to a, a, a freshman, a guy like Kenyatta Jackson, who's super athletic, um, kind of a smaller size defensive end? I don't know. And so I, I do feel concerned about that position. And then also you look at, at Noel's defenses um, and – uh, so often the leader of that defense is one of the two linebackers, Malcolm, like I, like I said, Malcolm Rodriguez, first team All-American this past year. Does Ohio State have the personnel at linebacker only playing two? They're going to have to fly all over the field and make plays. I, I don't know. I, I think that brings up a good question, Mike, that I wanted to ask you. Um, what is 
what is the timetable that you and you feel like Ohio State Buckeye Nation give this guy to get it right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so tough. I'm going to actually pull up our schedule next year because um, I know that actually things kind of recently changed too, which I guess we could hold, talk about a whole other issue. So we have Notre Dame to start the season, Arkansas State, mm-hmm. Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa. So the, I guess the, the blessing – that, that's kind of a tough start to the Big Ten, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Iowa, three of your first four off the bat, but at least um, three of those four are at home. So, I, you know, the good thing is that I don't – I think that if you look at the best teams are playing on the front half of the schedule, they're all defense first teams. When you think about Iowa, maybe not Michigan State last year, but Michigan State traditionally defense first, nobody would argue with you that Wisconsin and Notre Dame are definitely defense first teams. So – I think that if we don't see Jim Knowles kind of put this together and we get torched by any of those teams and for the, let's say, over 30 points allowed, I'm going to be kind of concerned because then if, if you got, if you don't have that figured out and then you go to the back half of the schedule and you're going, you're traveling to Penn State, you have Michigan at home at the end of the year, even Maryland's offense can actually show flashes. You're playing them towards the end of the year as well. I think then if you don't put it together on the front half, I think the back end of the schedule is much more offensively loaded. So me personally, uh, I would love for us to limit Notre Dame, Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers, and Michigan State all to under 30 points. I would be very satisfied for that for the first half of the season. Yeah, now that you're saying it, Mike, I I actually – I really like what you're saying. The the schedule, it's – don't get me wrong, folks. This is going to be – on paper right now, this is the hardest schedule Ohio State's had that I can remember. Um, season ticket holders next year, good grief. You're going to get Notre Dame at home, Wisconsin at home, Iowa at home, uh, Michigan at home. You're going to get some – I mean, Mike, how many how many years did we have no real – you know, no ranked gains at home when we were students there? Um, but I do like how the schedule shapes up and the fact that the early half of the season with, with the exception of Michigan state, which I, I, we really don't know who they are. Um, they had a generational running back who transferred there almost seemingly by mistake. Um, <laughs> and so we don't really know, we don't really know who they are, but all those other teams traditionally are not, you know, offensive juggernauts. Iowa's not a juggernaut. They're going to try and run the football. Uh, same thing with Wisconsin, even Notre Dame, they're going to be figuring things out with a new quarterback, um, new running back. So I, I think that that part should allow these young men to to gain some confidence. And, and hopefully by the time, you know, the end of the season rolls around where they are playing teams with good offenses, they're in a good, you know, in a good spot. Yeah, and this, I guess, don't be fooled if we do play well defensively the first five weeks of the season. Because I think last year there was that stat moving around towards the end of the season that Ohio State's defensive line is leading the country in sacks. And that's great. But if you're getting eight sacks against Toledo and nine sacks against Arkansas State, it doesn't really mean, you know, what do you do against the great teams, against the really solid teams? There are a lot of question marks in college football in general with the transfer portal going around but but I want to see this team play their best football against the best teams and we know we kind of have a good idea of what the offense is going to bring next year 
I would be shocked if the offense was outside of the top five in the country when you think about the fact that we basically have three All-Americans off the bat. Like, I think people are going to say, like, C.J. Stroud, Trayvon Henderson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba might literally be the best returning quarterback, running back, and wide receiver in college football next year. So it would be a shock yeah. if we don't average 40 points per game on offense. So if this all this defense needs to be is top 20, and then I think we're, we're situated very well for a playoff run. Right, right. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you there. And and you know, this team, you you just said it. I, I don't want to, you know, count my chickens before they hatch as they say, but man, the this offense has the potential next year in my opinion to have the Davey O'Brien award winner, the Fred Bolitnikoff award winner, the Doak Walker award winner, and and potentially this feels like a, a longer shot, but the Joe Moore Offensive Line of the Year award winner. Um, and so you're absolutely right. This offense is going to be absolutely humming. Mike, let's transition as we talk about offense to another coaching hire. Um, what what we thought maybe would happen for years now, Greg Stadrawa, the offensive line coach um, here at Ohio State, his contract was not renewed, so I, I don't think – I guess he was not technically fired, but he's no longer the offensive line coach at Ohio State. What do you make of the move? What do you think of the the Justin Fry hire? Um, and, and even just from a, a bigger perspective, what do you think of Ryan Day and his aggressiveness in hiring coaches this offseason? I think he's definitely looking at physicality. And I think that probably the last straw for, for Coach Trujawa, never say his name, Coach Stud was just that against Michigan, we were not physical on the trenches in either side. I think you could give a yeah. little bit of a <clears throat> give a little bit of leeway to Larry Johnson, no doubt about that, because he's not only a great recruiter, but considered one of the best defensive linemen in the coach, and he's been producing year after year, so you can cut him some slack. But I think with Coach Stud, he's been a great recruiter, but he hasn't exactly developed great. And I think when your offensive line is essentially comprised of a center and four tackles, two of which have to are forced to play the guard position. You just don't have that leverage and that physicality. And I think that speaks to his inability to develop interior offensive linemen that eventually burned him. And I think it, it showed because we could run the ball very effectively against teams that weren't physical. But then when we played more physical teams down the stretch, we just didn't have the interior offensive linemen to run between the tackles. And we were forced to kind of, you know, do stretch runs to the outside. And I think that kind of burned us towards the end. So. I, I'm not surprised yeah. by it, and I think going after a guy like Justin Fry, who's been at UCLA, UCLA kind of changed their image a little bit. They've become more physical in recent years under Chip Kelly and have a run-first mentality. So I like the hire, but I don't know too much about Justin Fry. I, I'm a big fan. I've I've done some research on this guy, um, and like you said, he's really kind of developed that that offensive line at UCLA. He's he's been you know the offensive coordinator there, although Chip Kelly. Um, calls the play so it was just kind of a title thing but he has been the offensive coordinator there um, and and the last two years UCLA is ranked in the top 15 in rush yards per game uh, which is impressive and then he was the offensive line coach actually at Boston College I don't know if you remember this is probably when we were in college the era of uh, I think his name was like Andre Williams or something um, hmm. number he was a running back for Boston College I feel like he'd have like 280 yards every week even I think he even finished yeah. in the Heisman 
Um, but he was, you know, Justin Fry was the offensive line coach for those BC teams. And so I, I think you're right. He's going to bring a, a level of physicality that's going to be uh, really, really good. And I think, you know, that's what Ohio State needs. They, Michigan questioned this team's toughness, right? That, that was what Michigan yeah. said at the end of the year. They, th- this team wasn't tough. They were soft. And, and I think that's, in a lot of ways, that's true. And so we'll see um, if Fry can, can get it together. I mean, the, the truth at the end of the day, Mike, is that Travion Henderson's a generational back. Um, and he was a freshman this year. And I think at times he was still trying to figure things out. I don't think he, he'd like gotten the vision of being a running back just yet. But at the end of the day, he's a home run hitter. And I think a lot of the big plays and the big games that he had were solely on his own. I, I don't know if the offensive line was was really helping him all that much. So it's going to be fun to see what can this kid do, you know, as a sophomore with an offensive line that's playing a lot better than it was this year. Yeah, 100%. That's a great point because seven yards per carry or six yards per carry, it, you can get it in many different ways. And I'm going to kind of make a Saquon Barkley analogy for the Giants. It's like he would have – a two-yard run, a one-yard run, a two-yard run, a negative two-yard run, and then a 65-yard run. And it looks like the <laughs> offensive line is doing their job, but in reality, they're not. You know, I think I think the best mm-hmm. indication of an offensive line is if you can consistently carry after carry, get five to seven-yard gains, and then occasionally pop one. And that's what Michigan did against us, if we're going to be real about it. Yeah. It's like they, you know, with Hassan Haskins, they were just five, six, four, five, every single play running it down our throats. And I think it's so important to have a physical offensive line and the, the recipe is there, you know, you have the talented running back to take advantage of those holes. You have a passing game. There's, you know, there's no way that any team is going to be crazy enough to put eight guys, probably not even seven guys against the box for us. So these guys just have to be taught to run downhill, develop a physical running game and the rest to take care of itself. Right. Right. I think, uh, maybe I'm making this up, but I, I'm pretty positive I saw this uh, during the college football playoff this past year, Mike. I, I think that they said the winner of the college football playoff, like even the semifinal games, has never lost the rushing battle. Isn't that crazy to think about? And, I, you know, it's probably true. We outrushed Alabama. We outrushed Oregon. Um, we outrushed uh, – we outrushed who do, Clemson a year ago. You know, Georgia outrushed Alabama this year. Alabama outrushed Cincinnati. Georgia outrushed Michigan. It's it's crazy. I, I just think that that is such an important part of the college game, the ability to rush the football. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, Justin Fry is the guy that we need to be able to do that effectively. It, it speaks to also just being able to do multiple things. I think if you be, if you're a Swiss Army knife, and we kind of saw this in the in the Rose Bowl, it's like eventually it was like we were just a one trick pony, you know, thrown to Jack sure. and Jigba. It worked out, but in the long run, you know, you're going to run into you have to be able to do everything well. And I think a good example of what Alabama did against Cincinnati. Alabama was a pass first team for most of the year. And then they went up against the best secondary in the country in, you know, in Cincinnati with sauce Gardner and, and Kobe Bryant. And, and they were able to just dominate them on the ground and, and just be physical. So it's, I think it's important yeah. to have, have all of the facets on offense and defense checked out. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely with you there. Can't believe that, uh, 
there's ever a time when Cincinnati had the best secondary in college football, but they did. And Hey, we stole their corners coach, Perry Eliano. He's going to come coach. I think he's the defensive backs coach, but he's going to specialize in safeties. Um, just real quick. What do you make of this hire? Smart move, bad move. What do you say? It was essentially an even trade from Kerry for Kerry Coombs. Uh, Cause we yeah. sent Kerry Coombs over to Cincinnati. I feel kind of bad for Kerry Coombs. I think we've probably given him, uh, quite a bit of flack on this podcast. I hope he does well in Cincinnati. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you could really – what success you, you can attribute to Luke Fickle because we know Luke Fickle is a defensive first coach, and it's sort of – if you have an offensive coach for Ohio State and he gets promoted somewhere else, do you really think it was him putting together the offensive game plan or do you think it was Ryan Day, you know? So um, – Right, right. I, I, I mean, I guess you could argue that he recruited well, you know, for – for Cincinnati to have those guys and sort of, I guess, like maybe he was the defensive version of Brian Hartline, but I don't make too much out of it. I really think most of the defensive sets is going to sink or swim with Jim Knowles and how well he can put together a defensive game plan as well as develop this talent. But I think um, some fresh faces, never a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I'm interested to see what he does. I think the good thing with Perry Eliano is that, as opposed to Kerry Coombs, who, you know, he had kind of made a name for himself already. He was coming back to Ohio State. Everyone loved him. Um, Perry Eliano, he's a young guy. He's trying to to prove his worth as a, as a college football coach. And so I think that's going to make him incredibly hungry. You know, this is the biggest job he's got. Um, he made Sauce Gardner into a – he's going to be a top five, top ten pick in the NFL draft. Kobe Bryant won the the uh, Jim Thorpe Award, um, so I'm just I'm excited to see what he does. But like you said, um, is it a a symptom of of Luke Fickle or him? We're gonna find out. Nate, just well, so we kind of tackled the coaching stuff. I just want to ask you quickly on recruiting Ohio State. Just following the 24 seven sports recruiting rankings, we finished fourth. I guess the technically this, the class isn't over, but we're fourth. That Probably not going to move off that. First in the Big Ten, average yep. rating at 93, 95, which is pretty solid. You know, I think the previous year at 94, 98, we're, we're kind of always living in that range. But I guess, like, which, uh, if you had to pick a couple guys that you're most excited to see that you really think are can potentially pop as future All-Americans, who do you – who are you eyeing? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go with a, a, a guy who hasn't gotten a ton of love um, that we signed, you know, very late in the process. I'm going to go with Caden Curry. Uh, he's a defensive and maybe de- defensive tackle, tackle in the three technique um, out of Indiana. And I think that this kid, if he didn't play college football or high school football in Indiana, probably would have been a five-star type kid. He's got a relentless motor. He kind of reminds me of a Joey Bosa type, a Nick Bosa type, even it pains me to say this, but an Aiden Hutchison type kid um, who is just going to play his tail off. Um, He performed really well at the All-American Bowl. He came in a little bit undersized. I think he was 6'3", 6'4", 235. And so for a lot of people to say they think he'll be a defensive tackle, he's really going to have to bulk up. Um, but I, I just think, man, this kid, high motor, that's what this defense needs. You know, think about the the defensive line that we've had since 
honestly, since Nick Bosa, with the exception of Chase Young, and I feel like we've lot, lacked a lot of guys that are just going to play hard every play. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimoloau will be that, and they're ridiculously talented. But I, I kind of want to see a guy that's going to, you know, he's going to run through a wall if he has to. If, if that's what it takes to get to the quarterback, he's going to do it. So I'm really excited for Caden Curry. What about you? I'm going to go with Devin Brown. Um, I think his recruiting stock in general has kind of shot up as of recent. He's a four-star quarterback out of Utah. And I think that he just seems to be the the next guy that Ryan Day is going to sort of, you know, bless as the chosen one. And it's getting to the point with quarterbacks, like CJ Stroud, he's going to go to the NFL after this year. No doubt about that. Stroud was phenomenal. Justin Fields was great. Dwayne Haskins threw 50-plus touchdowns. And it just seems like if Ryan Day is going to appoint you as the next quarterback, it's something that we should be excited about. You know, he's such a great offensive play caller. And I think Devin Brown, especially a lot of – he's getting he's starting to generate more and more hype. I don't know if him or McCord would be the starter next year. Obviously, that's very, um, that's very far in the future. But he's going to have an entire year to learn the playbook and to back up, I guess, his third string, Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud, and I'm just excited for what the future holds and to pass the baton to another fantastic quarterback and hopefully a Heisman hopeful. I've got a hot take for you. I am happier with our quarterback situation with Devin Brown than I am with Quinn Ewers. Um, I know Quinn Ewers is a generational talent. I know there's probably bitterness in my heart (laughs) that he transferred away from the Buckeyes, but hear me out. I love that this is true of both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord. Those guys are gamers. They they want to compete. You know, Kyle McCord could have transferred, um, and yet he's still here. Devin Brown looked at the quarterback room and said, man, there's two five-stars there. And what did he say? He said, I wanted to come to Ohio State because I wanted to compete. And, and clearly, Quinn Ewers didn't want to compete. I love that, that kind of attitude. In a quarterback, I think that's what makes quarter, you know, quarterbacks great. So um, I'm really excited for the future at that position. Yeah. I mean, they look, they all have whoever's the starting quarterback. You could tell me on day one, you know, Devin Brown or Kyle McCord or CJ Stroud starting, they're going to have unbelievable receivers. They're going to have a great offensive line. They're going to have a great head coach and they're going to have a great running back. So, you know, they're, they're set up for success, undoubtedly. But um, it's 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 obviously super exciting to see. Uh, he seems like a really talented kid. I'm excited about that. And I guess I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that um, sometimes with a guy like Quinn, here's actually I, now that I'm I'm kind of thinking about it with Quinn Ewers, I'll make a little bit of a Patrick Mahomes. Let's just say Quinn Ewers is the Patrick Mahomes of college football, and we'll say that let's just say Devin Brown is someone like. Uh, Someone who's like not even a game manager, but we'll say a game manager for lack of a better word. Sometimes you don't need someone like Patrick Mahomes who's going to take risks and throw the ball 80 yards down the field when you have such a a good and steady offense. Sometimes you need a guy that just he just can get the ball to his playmakers. And I'm not saying Devin Brown is is not a fantastic talent. That's not what I'm saying at all. But he doesn't have the ego right. that Quinn Ewers has, and he's not going to necessarily try to put the, these balls in ridiculous windows and 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 try to also, you know, buy into his own hype machine. Right, right, exactly. It feels like Devin Brown's coming to Ohio State to work, um, and 
And, you know, I, who knows? Quinn Ewers could definitely prove us wrong. He's got all the talent, no doubt about it. Um, but I just – I don't know if I'm convinced he wants to work. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just kind of the – the uh, what I've seen. Uh, interesting storyline with Quinn Ewers for next season. Uh, week two, Texas at Alabama. <laughs> That'll be fun. What are you rooting for there? <laughs> oh, gosh. You got to root Who for Quinn am Ewers. I rooting you have for? To, you have to. Because yeah, Alabama, if Alabama right. loses to Texas, they're probably they're not going to get into the playoff with two losses. I, it's ridiculous. We're already talking playoff, but you know you can't. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking playoff, and it's uh, <laughs> it's January it's... Of twenty, literally twelve months away. Uh, the season never stops. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. A future, uh, a few other uh, just topics to kind of tackle. This is an interesting one. Jim Harbaugh is Jim Harbaugh even going to be the Michigan coach next year? It looks like he's entertaining some some possibilities of going to the NFL, possibly to my Oakland Raiders or my Las Vegas Raiders, which they will no longer be my Las Vegas Raiders if uh, Jim Harbaugh goes there. So I don't know where do you where do you think he's going to be next year? Oh my word! I don't know. It feels like I take it all with a grain of salt because it's Jim Harbaugh. You know, if I were him and people were talking about me going to the NFL and I wasn't going to do it, I'd come out and say something. You know, I'd be like, hey, the rumors aren't true. I'm not leaving. Uh, we haven't gotten that from him yet to this point. And so I, I don't I don't know what's going to happen. You know, he's made some offseason moves. He brought in the Notre Dame defensive line coach Mike Elston to coach the D-line there. He just lost Mike McDonald yesterday um, to the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't know. I don't, and I don't know which way to root. You know, part of me wants Harbaugh gone because as much as people like to rag on him, when I, I think of Ohio State and Michigan as almost as Oregon and Stanford in some ways, and it's like once he beat Chip Kelly in Oregon, he started rolling them um, out at Stanford. Granted, he had Andrew Luck. So part of me is like, do I want him gone? But then the other part of me is like, uh, could they get someone better? I know it's super late in the cycle, but is it possible that they could get someone better? I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Obviously, I know that you would be furious if your Oakland Raiders brought him to town. Uh, but but apart from that, do you want him to leave? Do you want him to stay? What do you think? Um, I think I want him – and I, I guess I'm trying to just be an optimist either way. If he leaves, you could say, okay, they're probably not going to get someone as good as Harbaugh. Maybe they revert back to the Rich Rod, Brady Hoke years and go seven and five. That would certainly be fantastic. But at the same time, if he stays, I want an opportunity for this team to get revenge and to just absolutely slaughter them in Columbus next year. <laughs> uh, that would be fantastic. So I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to really <laughs> – I don't really say, but I'm, I'm reading, I'm just kind of skimming some Twitter stuff here and who knows? I mean, Twitter's certainly not the truth, but it's saying that Michigan, that Harbaugh's NFL, if he is going to go to the NFL, it looks like it's going to come down to the Vikings. So thank gosh the Raiders oh, are really? no longer in that mix. Yeah. But who knows? It's like people come out on Twitter and say, he's definitely leaving. It's a deal's already in place. It's like, that's not, hasn't really been the case. So I guess you never really know. It's never over until the fat lady sings, but 
I, I could take it or leave it if he goes or stays. I think Michigan loses a lot of talent to the NFL this year. They're going to lose three top ten picks, probably in Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. So I, um, you know, I think this Michigan team is not going to be the same next year. I don't think they're going to make the playoff. I think they're going to take a step back, and uh, we'll be there waiting for them in Columbus the last game of the year. First time in four years. What do, What do you think about the? Uh... Uh, them losing Mike McDonald. Obviously, um, he had a almost a Jeff Halfley type season for them. You know, really got that defense going. Obviously, I think there's going to be, like you said, maybe three first round picks with Daxon Hill uh, from that defense. So, what do you think about uh, you know Mike McDonald heading back to the Ravens? How big of a storyline is this? Is it not one? What do you think? I don't think it's much of a story because he's – I guess he's replacing Wink Martindale, right, because the Ravens fired Wink Martindale. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think yep. it's not that big of a deal. I think he's making the right decision because it's like, wow, I had two generational defensive ends and also an incredible linebacker and incredible safety. I better get out of Dodge before I get exposed for not being, like, as good of a coach. Mm. I think he's probably buying right. – he's going to the NFL while he can and, and trying to – to take advantage of that. And I think just like Jeff Halfley, it's like, wow, I had Chase Young. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to repeat this next year. I better take a head coaching job while I can. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's probably just – it's more so the uh, the players as opposed to the coach in that specific case. But, hey, he, he, you know, it's really easy to be a defensive coordinator when you're generating pressure by rushing three guys. Right, right. Definitely. Definitely. It makes your – I mean, that's, that's what Jeff Halfley did too, <laughs> you know. Davon Hamilton and Chase Young were making life so miserable. And then you have Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Sean Wade. And it, it's pretty easy to look pretty darn good pretty quick. For sure. Um, this is uh, – I'm looking at a mock draft now. I guess, we're, you know, we're kind of just bouncing around topics a little bit. Only seeing two Ohio State guys in – or actually three. Now that I, I just – I something repressed anyway three uh ohio state guys in the first round can you guess who they are garrett wilson chris olave don't don't uh are they putting petite frere in the first round they are, yeah. That's, putting him at, at wow. 29. Yeah, Olave at 31. Wow. Garrett Wilson to the Browns at 13. How would uh how oh, would uh, that would be pretty cool? That would be pretty awesome. That that would be a literal dream come true. Uh <laughs> oh gosh, that would be amazing. The the Browns so desperately need a you know, they have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's kind of like a go-up-and-get-the-ball type receiver. Jarvis Landry, solid in the slot. They need a guy who's like, you know, he's your clear-cut number one receiver. And Garrett Wilson uh, is that. Oh, man. who? So who do they have Olave going to, though? Uh, they haven't – I guess the Lions have someone's pick. Um, I'm not sure who it is, but they haven't back oh, in the no. first round. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would oh, be kind no. of unfortunate. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that would the break thing is, my heart. yeah, because usually if you're like a back end of the first round guy, you're typically going to go to a really good team with good infrastructure. Like if you went to the Packers or something like that, but 
I don't, I, I don't know exactly like the dynamics, but it doesn't look like they really have anyone else. I mean, they have seven banks mocked at 96. I'm just looking at the other second and third round. Um, so it look, Ohio state's not losing a ton of NFL guys. I mean, losing two obviously massive receivers. Um, and I think you could probably argue Haskell Garrett, he might not be a like amazing NFL guy, but he definitely made an impact in college. But I think when you compare that to what some other teams are losing, specifically Michigan, who are losing, you know, three top end first down first round guys, I think um, you know, we had more depth to begin with, right? So if we're if they're losing more than us and we have more depth, I think that we're gonna slide in just fine. And um, unsurprisingly, we're the favorites to win the Big Ten East next year. Let's let's freaking go. Which I'm glad that you uh, brought up the Big Ten East. Uh, again, like you said, we're kind of bouncing around topics here. The Big Ten uh, athletic directors have met in the last week or so, and the talk has been with uh, about the Big Ten doing away with divisions. Uh, almost Big 12 style, although they wouldn't be able to play every team. They'd also reduce the schedule back to eight conference games, which would allow more games against Pac-12 and ACC teams um, uh, as a part of that silly alliance that they have. Um, what What do you think about this? Is this a good idea to eliminate the East and the West and just have one big conglomerate? Um, yeah, what, what do you think, Mike? I think it's not really fair. And also, like, how are you going to decide the scheduling? Like, obviously, Ohio State-Michigan has to play the last game of every year. So then do you just, like, rotate? Like, do you have protected rivalries? It kind of doesn't make sense. Like, I I enjoy how every year we can kind of count on Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland being on our schedule. Also enjoy having the easy baked-in win against Rutgers and Indiana, which is basically glorified by weeks. And then it's fun to see who we're going to draw out of the West. And I know some years schedules easier than others. Like this year we draw Wisconsin, Iowa and Northwestern out of the West. So they, they're probably, you know, a little bit more competitive teams, but um, I don't know. I just enjoy it better. I know. I, I think they're doing this as we were saying before we recorded that, I guess they want the possibility of an Ohio state Michigan rematch in the big 10 championship uh, as opposed to just, which I hate. It. Yeah. That would be horrible. I wouldn't like that. Like back-to-back weeks. I mean, that's just, I just don't think that's that's wise. It's so hard to beat a team twice, let alone back-to-back weeks. And I, I think you could – what you get in the, the college football playoff could be worse because of it. You know, like, I, I see the upside. There's going to be more ratings for the Big Ten championship game. But what if – you know, what if – let's just give an example. What if Ohio State's 12-0, and they're second in the nation, and they're playing – number nine uh Penn State a rematch in the in the Big Ten championship and at, at ninth Penn State is 10 and two and Penn State wins but then the Big Ten's probably shut out you know is yeah. that worth it or would you rather have Ohio State play a nine and three Wisconsin team sure there it's it's the ratings aren't as good but the chances of getting that one team into the play playoffs are a lot higher I would think yeah absolutely and imagine a situation where they played Michigan in the last week of the year they beat Michigan and knocked Michigan out of the playoff and then the, you run it back the next week and because it's tough to beat two teams it's, it's tough to beat the same team in back-to-back weeks 
and then Michigan beats Ohio State and then it knocks Ohio State out. And then it's like at the end of the day, Michigan and Ohio State are both kind of looking at each other like, well, we both kind of screwed that up. And then nobody nobody gets in in the Big Ten. So I think it's stupid. And also, I, I hate the eight conference games. I mean, I guess it's not too bad if, if you factor in like two power five non-conference games and then you have, you know, two joke games. I just hate how the SEC and the ACC have to play less conference games than uh, the Big Ten, the, the Big 12, and the, and the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I, am, I am with you in it. Even that, I'm, I don't know what to make of that. You know, I guess the Pac-12 and ACC aren't super strong, but it's like, well, if Ohio State's a top team in the conference, are they going to have to play? You know, are, are we dropping a game against – Illinois to play USC that's rolling with Lincoln Riley or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I just, I feel like the SEC has got this darn thing figured out. And it's going to be interesting when they add Texas and Oklahoma, because of the, the ability for Alabama to somehow miss all of the top teams every year is going to be less, but I just, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, let's kind of round this podcast out. We can make a little transition to, to basketball. I think the Ohio State basketball team yeah. has kind of quietly been pretty impressive this year. I, I, I guess they're kind of what we expected going in, maybe a little bit better. But 13-4 and four in the season coming off of a win against Minnesota in conference, playing a huge game tomorrow. We're recording this on Saturday, but we're playing Purdue on Sunday at Purdue. It's going to be a tough game. I think this yeah. is one of the situations, not expecting a win, but if the Buckeyes do pull it off, I think this will probably catapult us into the top 10. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't love Ohio State's chances. Um, I, I love the, the, t- this team. I, I really like watching EJ Liddell. Man, that kid has improved more and more every year. I think the other night he had 25 and 15. He's averaging three blocks a game. Uh, Malachi Branham, <clears throat> excuse me, starting to come on as a second scoring option. But I look at this Purdue team, and I, and truthfully, I look at the rest of the Big Ten, and I just don't know how Ohio State can defend. Uh, obviously, Zach Eady, who's seven foot four, um, but then how do they defend Travion Williams, who they bring off the bench, who's six eleven, and has given Ohio State fits over the year I or over the course of the past few years, I just don't know how they can can stop those guys. I don't know how they stop Kofi Coburn either. Um, and so that's my big concern. You know, Zed Key starts, and Zed Key's solid. He played well against Kofi Coburn a year ago, but Zed Key's like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, um, mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I guess it's one of those things you just don't have the expectation, but if they pull it off, it's fantastic. They're right now, I think out of Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, Purdue, one of those four teams is probably going to win the Big Ten regular season. Um, but I think if Ohio State beats Purdue just the way the schedule shakes out, then I think you can officially like put Ohio State into that conversation. I think it's interesting they're 9-0 at home this year. Uh, they have their three and three on the road and then they have a neutral site loss to Florida. So I don't know. Um, I think I, I agree with you. I think defensively has kind of been the strength of this team under Chris Holtman, but definitely not the strength of this team. And it's almost a little bit like the football team because you just see like 
any, any given moment, it's like, what are these five guys doing out there? It's like, you know, like I feel like Chris Holton and yeah. unnecessary amount of depth. You have 11 guys on the team who average at least nine minutes per game. Um, and, and sometimes the rotations seem a little staggered in the games that I have watched, but I, I maybe they're just trying to get a feel. And um, so it's a different looking team, but I don't think different is necessarily bad because the Chris Holtman teams in the past have sort of tailed off once the calendar flips into the new year. Whereas I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's what he's trying to avoid, whether it's making sure his guys don't get gassed out or just trying to find what rotations work. Uh, so I guess I'm, I'm optimistic, but not, uh, not hope, uh, not exactly hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I feel like, I think this is a tournament team, you know, don't Definitely. get, don't get me wrong there, but I think, you know, probably realistically there are five, five to a seven seed. Um, unless, you know, a guy like Malachi Branham really does become, you know, if he can be close to what Dwayne Washington was a year ago, um, because EJ Liddell is a better version of himself. If he can average 15 a game, I think this team could, could, you know, depending on the matchups could have a, a decent little tournament run, but it, it's real. And, and, you know, the thing that I haven't mentioned, I guess, and I keep forgetting this is that Ohio state's currently without Seth Towns, who's a good bench player a year ago and justice suing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if those guys come back, could things be different? Certainly. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, a, a great accomplishment would be for this team to make the um, Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Yep. That's, that's like, I mean, what more can you ask for? Especially after last year getting bounced um, to a 15 seed. Yeah. They definitely, they've underachieved a couple of years in the tournament. So, um, but hey, you know what? You're, Chris Holman's still done a fantastic job. I think if you're at a football first school, just being perennial, perennially ranked in the top 25 and making this tournament every year and occasionally winning a game or two, I think it sounds kind of stupid, but that's sort of what should be the expectation for Ohio State basketball. I think expecting this team to have those Greg Oden, Mike Conley uh, final four runs under Thad Mata is, is sort of uh, asking too much. Right, right. I'm, I, yeah, think of the other – you know, the other big time football schools, Clemson sucks, Georgia sucks, Oklahoma is a worse version of Ohio State, Alabama had a good year last year, but they're like 12 and seven worst version of Ohio State. Um, you know, I, this is the best teams in college basketball traditionally don't have great uh, college football programs, Duke, Kansas, UCLA. Um, Gonzaga, Gonzaga, I don't even think they yeah. play. They don't even play football aside from the the dynasty you made on NCAA 13 back <laughs> back several years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I, I think you're absolutely right. What and, and for the people who want Chris Holtman gone, I, you know, I'm kind of like, what more? What more can you really ask for? Um, yeah, I, I just I don't think it's that easy to get kids to come to Ohio State to be second fiddle, especially in this NIL era. I think it's just going to make it harder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, college bat. I, I'm going to be totally honest. Like, I I probably start turning the page and focusing more on college basketball once like the NFL finishes up. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll yeah. we'll, we'll probably get more I'm with time you. to do it. 
but hey, schedule shakes out fairly favorably. You know, if we, again, if we beat Purdue, we only have two games against ranked opponents the rest of the season, one at home against Michigan State and one on the road to Illinois. So anything is really possible for this team. Um, we'll, we'll see what, I, I shouldn't say anything's possible. They're not, they're not going to make the final four, but, but in terms of winning the big 10, it's totally <laughs> possible if they beat Purdue. Uh, and, and I guess we'll just take it one game at a time. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, and you know, we, we beat Duke somehow. So yeah, take it one game at a time and we'll just kind of see what happens.